Hello, Sublation Media viewers. It's me again, Douglas Lane. And um, you're about to watch an interview with Susanna Kleeman, whose podcast and video series Fatal Dates is coming up on November 1st. But I also wanted to tell you about something that's coming up on November 5th, which is a seminar I'll be doing with GCAS, the Global Center for Advanced Studies. Uh, it's called Can You Be a Radical Content Producer? YouTube podcasting in the left. Um, the seminar will cover uh, the ideas of Theodore Adorno on uh, the culture industry. It will uh, take a look at the ideas of Noam Chomsky and manufacturing consent. Um, and it will also provide you with a strategy for how to become a content producer, an influencer, and a micro-niche internet celebrity like me. Um, in, in all seriousness, it, it will take a look at the, the limits of the digital uh, space, um, some of the possibilities that uh, uh, are still available to us. And um, most of all, it will ask the question, you know, is there such a thing as an alternative media uh, and a left media? In today's diffuse, segmented, atomized digital landscape, um, just what has been done and undone uh, in our culture and in our politics. And that's what we'll be covering uh, in this GCAS seminar. You can sign up. It's 180 euros, which is actually roughly equivalent to $180 um, to be included in the seminar. Um, it will be running throughout November. First one is November 5th. Uh, I've been remiss in announcing this earlier. I should have gotten to it uh, a while ago. Um, so please do go sign up and... Uh, you can take a course with me uh, on Radical Podcasting. The death of God is about the drying up of a horizon of meaning and of a whole form of human life. Where do we stand in the illusion it makes? What kind of space are we invited into? The material relations between people become social relations between things. When we look at toasters, corn, and TVs, we don't we see... We still, to a large extent, live in the interregnum between, between worlds, if you will, or between paradigms. Not many people in the history of the world have faced that. Diet Soap is a sublation media podcast becomes a kind of symbolic world where what's inside your head and used to be your private thoughts has become made real by the beautiful images and products of companies like that. And you can get lost in that. And that can be more important than anything else. And doesn't that make it a different sort of, it's not just, you know, it's not just what you were saying. There's also the dream aspect of symbols. The fact it's very deep and the fact that it can lull us almost like a drug and we can spend all our time there. And, you know, obviously he suggests that's what we've done. Let's back up. <clears throat> Let's back up and um, start from the beginning for for us for this conversation and and say. Well, because that was a bit, that, that was that was just a bit too pointed, and you you didn't really have a good comeback to that. No, or, no, no. I just... could I could just to, just to because I don't want to dive into okay deep theoretical argumentation right at the start. I want to say hi, Susanna Kleeman. Welcome hi, to the Dice Podcast. Thank and, you so nice um, to be here. I'm <clears throat> I'm glad to bring you on as a as a, 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 a co-creator with the uh, Sublation Media Company. Thank you so much you for are, having me. You are launching a podcast 
and video series from Sublation Media's YouTube channel, but it's it is wholly yours. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Or well, what do we work it out? <laughs> That's fine. It's holy mind. That's fine, Doug. That's great. No, no, it's like thank you. No, we, okay, we worked you. it out. It's like something like I think is it that, was. Does um, that circumvent? Okay, no, I'll, I'll take that. That's no, no, good. no, no, no. This is not a new contract. It, I think it's um sixty forty uh sixty percent sublation, but um no no it's not yes, that. I, no, I don't think no, it's sixty. You, <laughs> it's not but, that. But, no, but no. But the point is, you the intellectual property is yours. This is a project that you're running. We're working with you to do it. Mm -hmm. We're we're sharing in the in the profits and the revenue if that ever uh, uh, arrives, but it's a, a new project that uh, we're working on together. It's not a holy it's not holy sublations. It's yours as well. Well, so thank people you so should much. Take a look thank at you so um, much. My, my honest labor has an honest um, uh, outcome. I'm not just an employee of, sub, of sublation. I have some some stake in it too, like a proper. Okay, it's good. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank I just want to state okay. that on the record for all time. Okay. You're not an employee, okay, so that <laughs> that this is a legal, you know. To, I'm, I've got my lawyer in the other room. He's telling me to tell you you're not an employee. Uh, but okay, um, uh, the, the 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 reason I'm having you on today is so we can discuss just what the project is about, mm -hmm. which is it's called Fatal Dates, mm -hmm. um, and um, so we can. I mean, <clears throat> this is my way of. I'm eventually going to be on your show. I think. I, I hope that you will swipe, <laughs> swipe right we'll on see. me eventually, and that I can okay. have a, 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 one of these fatal dates with you. But and this is not a. This is this is. Uh, I ask you out just for a cup of coffee, just to see if we get along. I'm, before we actually have any kind of fatal date, we're we're just going to talk. Um, okay, so you get a privilege. Day, so. You get a privileged access that I don't let other guests who come on my show. Right, that's right. I'm you're, I'm taking. You're sounding uh, it out. You're sounding it out. Okay, mm, uh, I guess mm -hmm. I let you do that. Okay. Yeah, no, I, I, I always like to have a, a privileged position in, in my relationships. So the... Looking forward to discussing that. All right, sorry, sorry. Yeah. Please carry no, on. No, so, yeah, we, no. And in the second half, like it's, we're going to do two sessions here because half for Patreon. Um, we should talk about gender and the, and the okay. dating aspect of your, of your show. Like how, okay. how that, how the, how the... Um, how the personal and the, and, and the and the not really the political, but the personal and the objective, or the personal and the theoretical, um, are coming together uh, in in your show. Um, but to begin with, why is it called Fatal Dates? And you know, you can uh, this is where you can maybe return to what we were arguing about at the beginning, which is Bouillard. Bouillard. How do you say his name correctly? I say Baudrillard. Um, Baudrillard. And I think. I think a French person would say it differently. A French person might say Baudrillard or something like that. But I, mm. yeah, I say Baudrillard, which I feel is half English and half French. And I notice that you sometimes you get a little bit caught up and, and you, you're doing a lot of um, curlicues and stuff around that name. I think you can just say Baudrillard. Or Baudrillard. JB. Okay, yeah. JB, you well, can say I, I made a video on Baudrillard and I had a Frenchman contact me and mm -hmm. correct me and then send me sound files of him pronouncing the name correctly okay. and okay, well, I, I, hope... I struggled to match him and then i met him in paris mm -hmm. and uh, he was quite a nice man and uh you know uh conrad well, hamilton you... and, oh, and it was I conrad hamilton. with him oh no it was not okay. conrad hamilton he was there as well well a good you know, answer which around. maybe you already gave to this guy but you could give next time if someone said that to you is that well that's very unbodriadrian of him to be such a stickler to the letter of things when things are nothing in any case and um, we can all do with less policing and more just letting the <clears> meaning <throat> through 
basically. So we went to Cafe Flores, you know, oh, really? um, there. Oh, yes, it was, it was very, very French and 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 bourgeois. So um, go ahead. Did you take photos of yourself there and there? Did they become symbolic items, cultural currency, things you could later reuse or could use one day? We 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 um, made a video. Oh, well, we, there you we, go. So there you go. So um, okay. So you were reaping the symbolic benefits, and not just to do with use value or exchange value, that to do with something else, something more emotional. But but yeah, but, but we, we didn't make a video at Cafe Flores because that would have sent the wrong message. Not very proletariat sitting around at Cafe Flores drinking wine. No, no, no. So what did you do with this not, video? It's just for personal use. No, it came out. It was an interview that I did in an, in an apartment in Paris with Conrad okay. Hamilton about gender politics. Because okay. there's nothing that says sublation more than two white guys in a French apartment discussing gender politics. Okay, well, aren't you lucky that you got me? Aren't you lucky that that for, mm. that for once there's there's well, it's not always for once, but but it, it's good to have different sorts of people, also, isn't it? Sometimes, anyway. Yeah, I suppose. Okay. I suppose I'll let you in, and we you can talk about feminism too. I suppose. Anyway, so <laughs> maybe I don't want to talk about feminism. You know, right. maybe I, maybe yeah. I don't want to go back in, in, into that little um, little pen. Um, you asked me why is it called Fatal Dates? Well, handily. Mm-hmm. There it is, Fatal Strategies. Fatal Strategies. By Baudrillard. By Jean Baudrillard. This is a great book written in the early 80s. And one of the mm. things that's so great for me about Baudrillard is so many of the things that he wrote in the early 80s just seemed before the internet, you know, before Apple, they just seemed to prefigure and, and to entirely describe the world we're in now, but it was all sort of hypotheses. And I think that's because he's a very rigorous, rigorous intellect and he really got to the bottom of things and he could see how things were. Um, so his book is called Fatal Strategies, and actually it, it's a term, his term fatal strategies he uses in other books, and I encountered it in other books first, but this is where he sort of purely defines it. Um, and lots of his books are critiques of where we are, but this is actually an amazing book because it's a it's a call to action. It tells you what you can do. It says, given that uh, things are strange, and in his idea, things are strange because um, his, his idea about capitalism is that um, it, we have given over our capitalism to computers. They determine the price of, of wheat, for example. So many things are beyond our control. And we just live in an efficient system that they've devised that we've handed over our, our stuff to. And part of what that efficient system is about is sating us with beautiful images, uh, letting us live in a symbolic place. And it's not like, so I, I was watching your series on the Society of the Spectacle and his mm. difference is he says there's no capitalistic agency. There's no people behind what's happened to us. More frighteningly, we've given our agency over to computers and they make choices for us and they present us with um, the beautiful digital worlds where we spend most of our time. And it's gone into what he calls, and he's got a lot of terms and they're often quite irritating, but into kind of an ecstatic state where we just don't care anymore. We just like beautiful images rather than if we can't have what we want, we can at least see pictures of what we want. So his book, this book, Fatal Strategies, is in that case, you know, how do you do anything? How can you have... Um, how can you fight back about uh, to to do with that sort of thing? And so he he's very playful. And um, another reason I think that people sometimes have an issue with him is that he's not a strictly speaking philosopher. And he never said he was a philosopher. He said he was a metaphysician, a moralist, some other mm-hmm. stuff. Um, and uh, a lot of what he says is also about you know theory itself has got us into difficult places. Although at one point at the end of this book, Fatal Strategies, he says perhaps there's only one fatal strategy, and that is theory, because what he's 
re- the a reason that I like him very much um, and I, I'm interested in him, he, he says there's the life that we lead, which is the life with our social economic relationships. But there's also a life of the mind that we live inside our heads. And that life of the mind is great. And if we can access true thought in the life of the mind, we can, you know, inside our heads, we can we can we can experience pleasure even in the most terrible and diabolical circumstances it's possible to have a place in your head and have a life of the mind and what he says for example about human relationships is it's all messed up we can never really especially now especially there's so much images who are people what do we do what are the images we present when we sit in cafe flores or do anything we we you know we've objectified ourselves but he says you know the dream still exists that you could nevertheless connect in your mind with someone you could you can meet somebody that you can that you that you can see things the same way as even if you know that the part of that is you'll never see the same things in the same way and um so he gives primacy to to what goes on in your head so some examples of fatal strategies are he just he's pushing things he said in a world that is false or there's a lot of falsity in it don't try and be true because that's the strategy that, that 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 world has adopted the appearance of truth he says be more false um he says um Instead of, well, hold on a moment. I actually, I think we've got some, mm-hmm. I was writing something. What does he say? Fight obscenity with its own weapons. Be uglier than the ugly. Be monstrous. Be, he says, don't try and change things. Accept things, but don't really accept them. And so I would say that what he is above all is, and what these strategies are, they're playful. Uh, he's saying, don't address things head on. Just come sideways. And something he says, which might be strange, is he says, um, you can, you know, a, a function of theory is it should accept that it can be wrong. And I think that that is, um, you know, obviously we've talked about it before. I, I, I've I've received some good political education from your different channels. You have lots of interesting guests. Sometimes, though, when you talk, it, it, when people from the left talk. It seems to be, to me, just just a mirror image of what everybody else says, which is there's just one reality and we need to sort it out. Whereas the thing that is good, but is also can be perceived as flippant sometimes or or, or not useful or just, um, you know, being perverse is to say that things are never just one way. You can always step back from them. You can always step back from them into the life of the mind. So anyway, mm-hmm. I've been walking. Can I, can I, can I, I want to respond to, first of all, I want to be a very typical kind of, uh, uh, mansplainer and say to you Baudrillard did not write his books before the internet the the internet was you know as it, as we understand it the, the foundations for it came up in the 60s and by Please, 1977 in the second world war in the, you know if we're really going to be yeah, nitpicking right, but sorry right, right, but yeah 19 and and by 1977 apple computers had been founded so apple computers okay. was around in 77 in fact i remember in the late 70s like 78 79 having access to an Apple computer in my uh, elementary school. Um, so, uh, so okay, the I, I, stand, use, I stand corrected. Usenet, Usenet um, was b- around by 1980, and that's where everyday people were talking to each other um, through the Internet, although by it wasn't until the 90s that that was really being spread amongst the, the riffraff. It was like military bases and universities. Um, but the, 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 the main thing is... Um, I think that Baudillard, <clears throat> along with some science fiction writers and some filmmakers um, and some maybe advertising executives and a whole, whole slew of other people, was good at giving expression to the rise of um, the dominance of information technology at the end of the 70s um, or through the 70s and into the 80s. And that... Um, what made him so 
popular and um, interesting and some and the kind of writer that that I at the age of like 20, 21, 22 wanted to pick up when I went to the bookstore mm-hmm. was the fact that he was speaking directly to this, this kind of experience of life. Mm-hmm. In the, mm-hmm. in the, he's like, a great writer. It has to be said. He's a great writer. He, he's got mm-hmm. fantastic turn of phrase. And in many mm-hmm. ways, it's, it's almost like reading fiction. He's got a great style. It's very seductive and persuasive. Right. But I mean, I had been, I had been a child during this moment when the personal computer came on the scene and and amongst a certain class anyway started to just be pretty pervasive like my all my friends had little computers in their homes you know mm-hmm. like the timex sinclair 2000 piece mm-hmm. of junk mm-hmm. use it get a tape de- uh, an audio c- cassette to load up a program and play a game for 20 minutes you know uh, fire uh, rhythms yes yeah yeah um so we you know he was a pioneer of and looked at looked into the phenomenon that was right there. It was already happening, but could see into the future, uh, project for into the future because now we are living definitely in a hyper real. Yes, and he called all that he called all that the code. And um, mm-hmm. what he said, and, and and you talk about that it that begins sort of in the sixties, but in parallel to it, what also happened at the same time was um, a real process of liberation after the Second World War. So, you know, there's an Enlightenment project of liberation, but true liberation we associate with the 60s and um, what we all think or what we're told when we first encounter this this thing that happened is that was a great thing. We were all liberated. There was women's liberation. All sorts of liberations happen, and that's been extended into the internet where previous stuff that was taboo, we couldn't talk about. We can talk about everything now. We live our lives openly and transparently. And um, something that's interesting in reading Baudrillard is he elides the code and the technical revolution with this process of liberation. And he says, in fact, it's not a real liberation. It's a fake liberation. And he says it's a liberation that's just designed so that we become better meta-tagged consumers and we can be sold to more easily. And in the end, mm-hmm. the things that restricted it, religion, ideas about the state, ideas about class, um, were superseded by, by it's like, look, we can make more money out of people if we just let them you know, let them see porn more, let them call themselves whatever they want to, then they tell us who they are and we can sell things to them. And that above all, it's a capitalistic liberation. And what he says, a lot of the confusion that we're in now, especially the emotional confusion we're in now is we're told we're liberated, but we're not really liberated. And we know that because we're not very happy. And liberation was supposed to be this ecstatic moment where we all could live as free people um, on, on planet Earth. That's just not happening. The same stuff happens. And then we feel worse in a way than we did before because it's like, well, I've, I'm free. I'm a free woman in the, in the 21st century. Why, why do these things secretly still bug me? Whereas he says before, when it was a master-slave dialectic dynamic more, you understood your place. You understood you're not free. And that in itself is more liberating because then you can s- sneak behind the bike sheds and be free there, ducking out of, of society. And you can also understand okay. why you feel mm-hmm. bad. Right. So um, I think there's a lot – I think – so far, like I don't disagree with Baudrillard's assessment very much at all. Like the the um, first of all, the idea that um, citizens and workers um, were transformed into consumers, say after the first world, well, second world war, um, and really probably after the first world war, but more more explicitly after the second world war, um, and that uh, rather than um, being disciplined uh, into a production process and a political process that had a, an aim, mm-hmm. right? mm-hmm. like, for instance, the spread of democracy, mm-hmm. um, 
and uh, and and commerce, mm-hmm. um, which you were participating in, you now were reduced to an atom, an individual whose mm-hmm. aim was to survive mm-hmm. for as long mm-hmm. as you can and as, for as well as you can. Mm-hmm. Good, mm-hmm. you know, having. Mm-hmm. And also the responsibility for your happiness is given to you. If you're not happy, it's because you haven't sorted stuff out in your personal life often or because of issues from your childhood or mm-hmm. the way you grew up and you're not educated enough to know how the world works. The responsibility is yours. And, you know, mm-hmm. with that, the rise of, of of the acceptance of psychotherapy and, you know, even online help and this is what you should be doing and it's on you. It's on you if you if you don't feel right. All the tools are there for you now. So it's it's on you. He also mm-hmm. right, and this idea that happiness itself should be a primary aim for individuals, um, you know, is a break from uh, the other values. Like, you know, the, the your your goal should be to uh, become uh, a, a, a good citizen, uh, a, a productive member of society. The, your own personal happiness doesn't always come first. Your, you know, your, uh, your roles that you take up should be mastered, and mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. that means that mm-hmm. you should respect the people in authority who have more experience and skills and an education, perhaps, and power mm-hmm. than you do. Mm-hmm. Um, all that's kind of uh, questioned, and I think it's questioned in the sixties. Um, so that for individuals um, and young people, especially then, could. Claim no, look, you're what you're trying to discipline me into, what you're trying to get me to conform to is mm-hmm. not acceptable to me as an individual. And this my in, internal feelings and, and my desires should take yes. precedence over this. this yes. Uh, and what, what he says is that we before we were taught and we all kind of knew back in the back in, in you know in history, mm-hmm. people knew that the state is just the state is 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 hyper real. The state, our societies, our countries, all those things are just necessary fantasies that we all share into because it makes life a bit more easy. And we were saying, um, we, so, but and I think for many people, I don't know, it's hard to say, but I think there was not an expectation, for example, that you would find happiness in your marriage necessarily in the past. We're talking, you know, hundreds of years ago, a hundred years ago, yeah. a marriage was generally speaking just much more of a pragmatic thing with someone in your community, um, and the expectation of happiness there didn't exist the expectation is if you found happiness it was illicitly done or it was it was not in the it, the state the the you know the the communal fantasy that we all live in it was understood that's not the place where you're necessarily going to find happiness and and what um what i have learned from reading baudrillard is that um that is better than saying what what we do today which is that look all that's gone all that was silly nonsense old laws ancient stuff bad restrictions but now we live in a society governed by logic where everything's run like an amazon logistics center you know in the most efficient way possible and therefore because it's done and and we also know that it's kind of done by machines it's not even done by us so therefore it will sort it out for you you know if you can just plug yourself properly into the computer the computer will read who you are tell you what you ought to be doing what you ought to be buying you know the images in my head often is some very high-tech medical sort of shower unit that you go in it scans you it tells you exactly what diseases you have but that could be true of exactly what goes on your on your mind too so you you are saying okay state you have the capacity and the uh, the tools to make me happy therefore i don't have to do what i did before which is make myself happy or understand happiness is not a permanent state it's just something that i can sometimes go back into but in my into my own into my own private state mm-hmm. and so for example he talks um so very interestingly 
So I've talked here about his book, Fatal Strategies, and generally about his ideas. We haven't talked about how it relates to to human relationships, to love relationships anyway. Um, But he gives a very interesting history of of how relationships used to be. So he says in the past, and here I'm talking about sort of authentic, real connection with somebody else, something that you feel a deep connection with that's often sexual. So he says in the past, you know, love is the ideas that we have about love. Those are Christian ideas. And there was something that's older than that in cultures, which is seduction, which is you're not thinking that you're going to solve all your problems by meeting somebody and falling in love with them. You're not thinking that at all. What you're thinking is in the moment, stepping out of how things are, I'm playing a fun game of flirtation with somebody. Let's see how it goes. So he says, so calls that seduction. And he says that was replaced by an idea called love, which is a quasi-Christian idea that says, um, no, no, you you can, within society, uh, in an official way, you can have a good, nice love relationship. All things can can, can be worked out. And then he says that that changes. Look, look to, at my hair, Susan. It just goes like Susan. crazy on top. All okay, right, go ahead. Go in sympathy with my hair. Okay, so then, then he says something else comes. People are like, all right. So then there's something called desire, which is where more 19th century idea you talk about, you know, your, your, your desire for someone. Then that becomes sexual attraction, something that is kind of done post-war the joy of sex other books mm-hmm. that that, that mm-hmm. just talk about okay well let's just let's just break it down and talk about it a bit more logically following on the pattern of things becoming more rational let's divorce things from that let's have self-help manuals and then he says it becomes mm-hmm. pure porn then what we're in now is pure porn and also what he says about us is, is whereas before there was an idea of bouncing off someone else the thrill being from an actual attraction with somebody else now it's all about um what can you do for me? How can you solve my problems? I want you to, you know, to, to, to be my friend, to have sex with me, to desire me. And, and it's a very egocentric thing, which is, again, about um, I need to be resolved. I need a relationship with someone in order to solve some stuff from me, not from I just want to have, you know, an interaction with another human being that is joyful, exciting, private, secret, that might not solve all my problems, but can just do for me now in the short term and I can think about it later. I think all this sex talk is something that we really need to reserve for the parrot room because uh, you can't just give this stuff away. Uh, so, so you have to, you have to like, you know, hold, so hold something back and get, get some donations, but I want to hear. Here, here's, I have to hold here's, something back. Okay. Well, it's good. I'm, I'm glad to get my dating tips from you, Doug. No, no, this is from, that's not a dating. <laughs> <tip>. Okay. <laughs> Look, but here, here, here's. The, but in the uh, end, want... everything is a dating tip. I just want to say something else, which is true. Okay, and it's not just Baudrillard who's, who who says this. In fact, everything can everything is a dating tip. You know, and and what he says about the the world of, of seduction and, and human connection is, if it's actually working and playing off something, anything you do, getting a cup of tea, you know, anything you do, a text, everything has can have a double and triple meaning, and that's what's fun about it. So everything can be a dating tip if you choose to look at it that way. Okay. So that seems to raise the idea that all of our social interactions right now are some sort, some form of seduction. They could be, they could be everything. And he says, that's what's, that's why historically people have state other institutions, your family have really controlled sexuality and not just sexuality, but your, intimate connection, a strong intimate connection between two people, because it can just say to it can, he has a concept he calls reversibility, which again is something I would say is probably unpopular for Marxists. But what he says, everything isn't necessarily like that. In a moment, everything can become something else. And we, 
we've all had that experience, I'm sure. You're doing something, you're in a coffee shop, you're in a lecture, you're at work. Suddenly you see someone and your eyes just connect with them. Suddenly everything in that sphere is changed. Everything is changed. Now you're playing a game with that person, even if that's the only interaction you ever have with them. You've had a connection with them that, that sort of undermines the official world. Okay, so when, uh, to go back a couple steps, you talked about how um, the, the, the new forms of uh, authority um, in a post-war capitalist state had uh, a focus on providing for the happiness of the co individual consumer subject. And did so through a process of evaluation. You kind of use the metaphor of um, a computer scan that would mm -hmm. find all of your flaws and 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 track your desires and 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 um and and maybe it was partly a medical scan, partly a psychological scan. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And what comes to mind for me is the difference between the way in which machines were implemented. Um, upon people's bodies in the early part of the 20th century um, in a movie like Modern Times mm -hmm. with Charlie Chaplin. Mm -hmm. And you remember the scene where his, they, 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 they tr are trying out a, 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 an automated feeding machine for the yes, workers so that they can get food stuffed into their face while they continue yes. to work? Yes. And, yes. Um, there's that kind of image of the of the machine as an authoritarian implement of control, instrument of control. And then later on, like in the 70s, I think like 1979 or so, um, there's this movie called Looker. And in that society, at that point, the, the machine is not in the work, not in the workplace, not in the point of production, but is um, being used to track the effects of advertising. Mm -hmm. And to by plastic surgeons in order to perfect the looks of models. Mm -hmm. So there's two different kinds of scanning processes. One in which a, a, a test audience is uh, hooked up to machines and their eyes are being tracked as to where they're looking on the screen to see what what they're what arouses them, what what, what they're drawn to. Um, and another one is uh, uh, being used to track down flaws in the supermodels bodies and, and faces and, and for corrective and, and surgery. <clears throat> and, and in and that movie, that. by the way, all the supermodels are being murdered. So like this plastic surgeon is like on the case of tracking down the serial killer. Of course, murdering uh, the supermodels. Uh, uh, of, of course he is. And of, and of course there are, but there is, wouldn't you say that now there's a third kind of um, machine, which is actually the machine that we've swallowed because Previously, it's machines that are third parties that are doing this to us and we're the innocent victims. But now right. we've swallowed and absorbed all of those things. Uh, we have social media profiles. We put on our pictures. We might have dating profiles. We say who we are. We have, we have, as they say, it's not surveillance, it's surveillance. We, we take pictures of ourselves and tag ourselves all the time. And also that makes us behave appropriately. We've swallowed uh, the governance. We know what looks right. If we say something wrong, it's going to be bad. Maybe we won't be able to do X, Y, and Z. We've been taught and and teach ourselves and and we do it to ourselves now, basically. Yes, and it's yeah uh, that that is absolutely true. Although even in the nineteen seventies, you know, these supermodels were voluntarily stepping forward to be perfected. But nonetheless, yes, um, 
Yes, they were, but that's a slightly different thing. I mean, supermodels getting themselves voluntarily perfected. Anyway, this is a movie we're talking about, although I'm sure it happens in real life too. That's a slightly different thing, isn't it? That is, that's a whole other topic about what that is, why that's happening. You know, as we become mm. more like objects, well, mm. you know, anyone, men, women, and I'm sure that men are much more beauty conscious than they ever were. I know that they are, you know, trimming, male products. Well, everyone wants to look good on Instagram. You know, before people didn't live their lives in that way. So it's not, we all are objectifying ourselves. We're all trying to present the most beautiful consumer product out of ourselves so that we'll be bought, mm -hmm. right? We'll be bought by other people. Mm -hmm. I want to look like Marilyn Monroe. That's my secret desire. I want to be uh, as beautiful. Well, as and why Monroe. And why do you want to be as beautiful as Marilyn Monroe? What would happen then if you were? Um, I don't know. Nothing, I guess, really. I would kill well, myself about 10, 15 years ago. But well, I was. There's, there's, there's the fantasy and then there's the reality. We all know the reality. It wasn't so good for Marilyn Monroe. I love how you could someone come along and clip that out of me just saying, I want to be like Marilyn Monroe. Well, <laughs> out of context. I, I, and even in context is a weird thing to say. But no, no, but it's a very, it's a very, it's a very honest thing to say because if there's the fantasy that says if you were as beautiful as Marilyn Monroe, you wouldn't have to worry about your bills, would you? Some very handsome billionaire uh, would be whining and dining you, taking care of you. And I think that off, this is part of some of the problem historically that some men have had with women. By not means all men. Most men are not like this, obviously, are lovely. But for some men, there is a resentment about women, which is look at you, you are divorced of your personality and everything, just by the fact of your body, you can have an easier time of it than I can because I don't look as beautiful to the sex I want to attract as you do to me because our nature has imbalanced us in that way. And so there's a fantasy, I think, for, for you know, and I, I, as I said to you, it's great that you can admit that. Would, who wouldn't want to look like Marilyn Monroe if it all, all worked out the way that we think? I don't want to be, uh, I don't, I'm not saying I want to be, look as beautiful as she is, uh, as a woman, like as a man, I want to be the equivalent. That's that's what I I, I want to. Okay, so we we're, we're changing things here as a man, but then women wouldn't go for you. It's not it's not exactly. Cary Grant, I guess, would be the 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 male equivalent. Yes, Cary Grant would, but then why is it is it because of his beautiful body? No, it's not. It's because he's so fun and debonair and does this and mm. he does that and mm. and because he's so playful. Yeah, but but Marilyn Monroe is also not simply so alluring because of, of her body. Of course, oh, she's or, also or very even her playful. face. She's no. yeah, she's a type. She's, yeah, she, right. yeah, yes. And furthermore, she's fully. She knows. You know, sometimes what I think is, um, men don't want women to know that the power, the, the power that women have over them. But yet, they despise women who don't know about that power. Do you see what I mean? Do you understand what I mean there? Yep. Yeah, uh, yes, but but let's step back uh, again. You know, we're we're treading into the uh, parrot room conversation. Uh, we, 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 this is, you can't, you, you can't have all the fun stuff in this public arena. We have I'm so sorry, but all this is fun stuff. Is all of this is fun stuff. You know, the thing about it yep. is all of this is fun stuff, but it's not stuff that is normally allowed to be talked about because it's not serious stuff or it's about silly stuff or it goes on the border of, of, of taboo stuff that, that even though we think there are no taboos, there still are taboos. Anyway, whatever. Sorry. Right, I, okay. I, so I, yeah, I, no, this is, this okay, I so tell me some this, boring stuff. Okay. No, this isn't boring, but yeah. Um, this the I do wrestle with how to balance um the personal, the immediate, the sensuous, the ascetic, the playful part of my own create creative drive, say, mm -hmm. with my desire to like be rigorous, to know something that's relatively true, um, to uh avoid 
playing into assumptions in society um mm -hmm. and to and that which which turns me towards what a lot of people perceive i think to be academic kind of uh, an academic orientation um mm -hmm. i don't think it really is but so like it is tricky for me to figure out how to balance out uh the immediate the sensual the the um uh aesthetic the playful the fun the humorous with mm -hmm. Uh, you know, being relatively, I guess, serious and and level-headed and uh, just and and rigorous and and but complete. What, why, why can't you have both? Um, another thing that he that Baudrillard talks about and is interesting is that all these things align also with the um, scientific revolutions of the nineteenth century and twentieth century, specifically quantum physics. Um, stuff that shows us that nothing is as simple as we think and there are no certainties. Um, and he uses often the metaphor of how quantum physics and Newtonian physics just don't add up. And when in quantum physics, you look at a particle, it becomes a wave and, and nothing is solid. And he says that scientists have accepted this. That's what, that, you know, that is what our world is. Nothing is solid. But but the taboo is we can't, it, scientists accept it up to the point, he says, that they go and have a look into their microscopes. There, if you look in the, in the microscopic world, fine, nothing makes sense, but we still have to pretend that everything does. So when you say to me, you, you find it hard to balance, what I say to you is, but both things exist. It, it, the, the difficulty is trying to say all that stuff is of a secondary nature and, and only this stuff that is about logical, rigorous, <clears throat> academic stuff, that's the important stuff. And I would say that, that for, for me, that's not true. Both things exist at the same time. There's sometimes this and there's sometimes that. And the desire to have one system, one theoretical academic system, is 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 a doomed project it's just why i think well okay I, I here's why i feel like it's difficult to balance it out because um there's there's a difference in attitude and approach between what is entertaining say and mm -hmm. what is educational mm -hmm. um that what's okay. entertaining tends to operate on the level of the audience's shared cultural assumptions um What's entertaining doesn't all isn't primarily aimed at um, revealing uh, something underneath the level of appearance, but delighting in associations on the level of appearance. Um, yes. Um, yes. And and, and it, so it can be and easy to give, do. Can I give you an example? Like yesterday, I talked to a Trump supporter. My my one, uh, you know, Trump supporting regular podcast guest, Stephen. Yes. Yeah. And and. Um, he and I were talking about uh, we're trying to find shared ground and it was, it was an interesting conversation. It was playful, um, but I was trying to lead him to be a little more rigorous in his thinking. And he was trying to, you know, explain to me what the truth was as well. But um, towards the end, we're talking about conspiracy theories and something called project blue beam. And, you know, the, the idea, like he suggested that the, um, rather than allow the Republicans to win in the midterms, the Democrats would start a nuclear war. Okay. okay. Mm -hmm. And that for him, and from a certain point of view for me, was an entertaining idea. Okay. It was, it, it played to our, um, uh, our presuppositions, our, mm -hmm. our shared dislike of the Democrats say this mm -hmm. notion of there being an instantiated other that would mm -hmm. be in charge secretly um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that's running things. Um, uh, the feeling that uh, 
we all have that there, that the system that we're living within is a, is a system that's leading us towards death and destruction mm -hmm. and it's out of control. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, so it, it it was an entertaining idea. It was, it was uh, a pataphysical idea. Um, pataphysics is a word I've learned from reading Baudrillard. It's, yeah. um, it comes from, it's a word termed by Alfred Jarry, who was a French 19th century writer. He wrote mm -hmm. a play called Ubourois, which you might know of, a uh, violent, mm -hmm. surrealistic play. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, in that, his character Ubourois studies pataphysics, which is the science of imaginary solutions. And um, Baudrillard, uh, uh, someone I interviewed for, the, for someone I dated for the show, mm. uh, Laurent de Souté, who is a Belgian academic, he was talking a lot ab uh, about this. And we had an interesting discussion that Baudrillard was very taken with this idea. He became the member of a uh, society of pataphysics. And what that is, is you're allowed to say stuff. You're allowed to say stuff that is, as you were describing, somewhat dangerous, because it's not just about entertainment. It's about entertainment mixed with theory. And usually, when we look at theory and academic things, what we're used to doing is seeing things that we actually believe are true, and can be proven, and we can go down through the steps of it. And he gives the permission to just make up stuff that why don't you just test it out? There's danger in that because especially as you spread those ideas around the internet, the subtlety and the context of them is gone. And then you just sound like you're saying crazy stuff and there is enough crazy stuff and it is very damaging. And in a certain way, what Trump is, it seems to me, is a is a meta pataphysician. He is a kind of ubuwah. He is someone who's just playing with all these notions and playing with them politically. He's an entertainer and he has a great skill for entertainment and he's taking stuff and making it sound ritzy, as it were. Um, and that is very dangerous because it sounds very appealing because it's a, it's often very shocking ideas that we might have played around with at the back of our mind that are given some coherence, that are done as showbiz, and then it can make them feel real to us. And that is very dangerous. Nevertheless, it's of great value to play with ideas and not always to say, I'm going to have to do this so I can only talk about things that I know are provable because then you would never talk about anything at all. And there is a tremendous amount of conformity in the public debate these days on all sides, I think. There's only a set lot of things that you're allowed to think. And I say that as someone who often thinks very silly things and I often get a lot of um, pushback from people because of it. But, um, and I find that more and more because I feel just like it's my natural thing. I'm quite perverse, I'm quite playful myself. And I like just hypothesizing about things. I like talking about stuff and that gets people's backs up. You're only, you can be like this or you can be like that. The, the, the gray area seems to me, which used to be larger, gets smaller and smaller every day. Well, I'm not against the idea of people having the freedom to speculate and to be, use their imaginations and come up with the creative solutions or descriptions or explanations for things. But the difficulty with the ones that are the most entertaining is that we tend to have uh, maybe a libidinal investment in them. They speak. Mm -hmm. What makes them entertaining is a way in which they, they gratify Mm -hmm. uh, uh, certain needs that we have. So maybe psychologically, um, they, mm -hmm. we have maybe a narcissistic enjoyment of them. Um, mm -hmm. and they, uh, they confirm us in ourselves. Uh, that's what we, I mean, that's not well, the only kind of entertainment there is, right? I mean, the difference between entertainment and art might be that this difference between what confirms what you already believe and confirms you in yourself as you are, as opposed to, uh, uh, something that opens up questions and opens up the world and forces you to confront aspects of yourself and your life that uh, you the, mostly want to avoid, perhaps. But the, the, yes, but the, and the difficulty with something like pataphysics or your or Trumpian ideas is it plays with what traditionally was done in the realm of art, the realm of fiction, and mm -hmm. 
you know, it should be said, I, I uh, write novels, you write novels, and that there is something interesting to be discussed about fiction and, the, and, and, and what this all is. But those ideas of your Trumpian supporter play out what used to be done in fiction, and it's presented as stuff that's actually happening, even though it may not be happening in the way that we think of. And I think there's been a, there's a real dwindle in fiction, apart from a very set amount of uh, Marvel-style movies that we, we, we all know about. But it used to be that what you, would, what you would do in art, in fiction, was to make something as palpably unreal, but has a ring of truth about it. And that is what mm. art is. And that's something that Baudrillard says. And what he says is what we usually confronted these days is something that is true, but that rings false. So art is making something falser than false, making something that's obviously extreme, like Ubuwa, a ridiculous larger-than-life character, to make something that isn't presenting itself as things are the, the way that they are, so that you can then, through the action, through the correctly created piece of art, you can take away something that gives you a glimmer about the real world. But we, this all plays out for us now in the real world because there are less, you know, fiction isn't popular these days. We're so immersed in what comes out through our screens that we call reality, even if, that, if that's snippets from social media or chats like this or people's Instagram feeds or the whole world that we're drawn into online. There. The idea of stepping back from that and, and reading a novel or really engaging in a piece of art that isn't that is doing something else that's setting up with a, a, a separate universe. It's kind of we don't like doing that anymore. Yeah, yeah, that's that's true. Um, uh, so but uh, bracketing out the question of aesthetics, not because um, I want to put it in the parrot room, but just because I want to hold on to this question of how you approach theory. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and what I tend to aim at when I when I uh, try to understand theory and then relate it to audiences they meet through a video or an interview, um, or once I wrote a book uh, called Pick Your Battle, which tried to have a theoretical aspect to it, um, mm -hmm. is I try to uh, create the effect or the affect of inquiry as an, its own kind of entertainment. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The, effect, uh, the affect of of not knowing as something that can be confirming narcissistically enjoyed and you know okay. like well, saying, it's just okay. analyzing all the aspects of it as you're doing not just analyzing the thing itself but analyzing your approach also and doing the thing that right. is difficult which is being vulnerable and saying i might be wrong here and i also might be bringing a lot of my unchallenged assumptions to the but that's to, the other the thing page. is that the boring approach is the more vulnerable approach the boring approach is not the more authoritarian approach. The more authoritarian approach is the entertaining, sensual approach because it's already like. Okay, but exactly. So have both. So have both. Do the entertaining mm -hmm. and then question all the entertaining. Yeah, that's what we all right, want to see. Right, right, we all want right. to be razzle dazzled, and then we want to feel suspicious of what we were razzle dazzled about. And we want to have the backstage parrot room where the razzle dazzle is unpicked, and and we can analyze it and go away feeling okay, good. I didn't commit to that. I'm able now because it has to also be said. Doing the analysis, doing the theory is also a way of washing our hands of that thing. You know, all of us have the experience of being very emotionally out of nowhere, engaged, suddenly something happens, maybe we meet somebody, and then we'll do the good healing work of going back afterwards to say, you know what, they weren't that good. I can unpick it this, that, this way and be safe again, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, yeah, that's a, uh, um, yeah, well, that's definitely, uh, when you put that Sorry, in. Sorry, is that for, that's for the, that's for the parent room. <laughs> well, maybe. I was going to say, well, you know, we talk about like how to assess, uh, the the ends of romantic relationships um i think that that is a the the idea that you go back and you pick apart the person as not meeting the uh, the your real 
uh, needs and ambitions and goals, and uh, they're not measuring up as a person after uh, and, all. And, well, I think well, that's no, all absolutely. very suspect that you don't do that because, because obviously, you know, whatever you th- you're going to point to is the weakness in them. Uh, you know, the, the problems they have, the way, the things you didn't understand were probably also the very things that you were seeking when you approached them. The, the Yes. And also maybe they were, maybe they were selfish and wrong things in your initial approach. Maybe what you were looking for from someone was how they were going to help you. And maybe that's not what it is really about. How Maybe if you're looking at someone or is someone, something you're going to buy to improve your life, not literally buy, sometimes literally buy, but not someone you're going to acquire to improve your life. Maybe that's not what it's about. Maybe that's what the, one of the big problems is. That's certainly what I feel. And you were asking me right at the beginning, what is this project that I'm working on? That's certainly something that I've come to feel over time that, um, uh, you you know, we look at people as how are they going, you know, you meet some, how are they going to fit in my life? How are they going to improve my life? Are they going to get me? Is it going to be this, that? Maybe it's got nothing to do with that. Maybe it's a much more <sighs> capitalistic, a much less capitalistic thing, which is just, I'll go and park myself and my personality and my needs and desires in this so-called world, in this consensual hyper-reality that is society that's always been society. And maybe I'll just follow that not thinking selfishly how it's going to improve my life, but just to see what the experience with something that is not me outside of myself could bring me. But that's a very scary thing. Right. Well, um, I want to walk through that again to, to this, uh, to be the idea there. It sounds like is that you in a relationship, a romantic relationship that it would, it's worthwhile to consider turning your, uh, being of service to your partner. Yes, absolutely. Yes, 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 absolutely. So again, what, what what he's saying is instead of instead of always thinking about yourself, instead of always thinking inside your head, instead of so, for example, he is very he's not a big fan of psychotherapy because he says that again, it's just about you, as it were, inside your fortress, solo, trying to solve yourself. And and how can we solve ourselves? We don't even really exist. And in fact, most of us are more or less similar to other people. The desire to tell your unique story, to really get down to all the X, Y, and Z, it's useful. You should do it to a certain extent. But afterwards, you have to understand it's never going to give you, you know, true connection, true pleasure. True connection, true pleasure, he says, always comes from things outside yourself. He says, you know, being in a desert, you have an amazing feeling. Meeting someone and just experiencing getting out of yourself, hearing who they are, having an interest in them, having an altruistic interest in them. He suggests that that's where more momentary, fragmentary, but bigger dividends come rather than looking for someone like, well, are they going to fit into my life? Is it going to do this? How is it going to be when we're... However, there is a massive question of, therefore, how do you live your life? You know, How do you live your life with somebody? It is possibly not for everybody, but it can be less lonely and more fun to live with somebody. But if you're not, um, you know, what you just said, I think is, is, is the ideal and true. If you could live altruistically for somebody else in all their flaws, understanding that they're never going to meet your criteria, but basically they're the, you know, it's not exactly that they're the best, you know, you know settle for this, but, but to have something that is beyond words and beyond social categorization. And then, except that it's not going to work out properly between the pair of you, but you're just going to respect this space and do this thing 
ceremonially for each other. He talks about ceremony, making up arbitrary rules. No, you don't fulfill me in all the ways that I had on my checklist. However, ceremonially, I'm going to just act as if you did. And I'm going to support you in some of your crazy, crazy notions, because more or less, there's a connection between us that we don't need to define according to how the machine defines it, that, that we can do this. And we can do this almost in spite of and as an FU to everything else. And that's what our secret pact is. So that seems yeah, to me okay. pretty romantic. I want to, I just, this is a, uh, um, I'm going to be, uh, in try to be entertaining and, and speculative and, uh, and use my imagination here towards the end of this first round of conversation, um, and bring up something that I had, I had a, a conversation with my girlfriend, uh, mm-hmm. about two scenes from movies. And I was mm-hmm. trying to point out how weirdly similar they were. And she didn't at, at first see them as similar, but, um, and uh, and through that conversation, I, I realized that there they did have completely a, opposed visions, um, despite the mm-hmm. fact that there was something similar about them. And it was the ending of the movie Grease. Mm-hmm. You've ever, you've seen the movie Grease, right? At the yes. end of the movie Grease, they do the dance number, uh, John Travolta and Living Newton John. It's all about how she says, "Yeah, you 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 can you can you can do me. I, I'm ready." Uh, uh, you better be good. Um, uh, but, uh, she dresses up all, all provocatively. And, yeah. She's a bad girl now. And then at the end, they get into grease lightning, this car and fly, like the car flies away into the air and mm-hmm. the high the year, the, their senior year is over. They're going off into adulthood. And it's, um, this moment of like, there, yeah, she has said yes to him. But at the same time, he has submitted to what she wanted mm-hmm. because he's become a jock instead mm-hmm. of a greaser. And he's, mm-hmm. so now, now they can go and off into the future, mm-hmm. get married, have mm-hmm. that family. Mm-hmm. They're going to mm-hmm. be fine, right? Mm-hmm. And they're flying away, and they've transcended mm-hmm. the situation they were in, which was high school students, and they're becoming adults. It's this coming of age moment at the end of the mm-hmm. movie, and then. So, but there's this magical, mystical transcendence of the flying off in the car, and then at the end of the movie Repo Man, mm-hmm. um, the car is like glowing with radiation, uh, and the the plot of the movie is coming t- together, and the um, the the Emilio Estevez character gets in into the car with the the janitor from the repo shop, and mm-hmm. and they they drive off together and they fly all over the city in this, Mm -hmm. and they transcend all their circumstances. Um, And I said, so it's all I saw at first was like, okay, there's this moment of transcendence. It's the same moment. It's flying a flying car at the end of each movie. But, and she pointed out to me, she said, yeah, but at the end of repo man, the girlfriend runs up and says, well, what about our relationship? And he says, fuck our relationship. (laughs) And they fly (laughs) and he flies off into the, into the air uh, with the the with his janitor, bro, yeah, with his, with bro, his bro, with his, but it's they're not even bros in the movie. They're, they're with this really oddball, mystical kind of character. Okay, I haven't seen Repo Man, so yeah, so right, but yeah, but the, but that the, is the, actually the, that the, the thing that he he says. Uh, you know, this guy's the guy who would turn to you uh, on a break and say, "Have you ever had ex- have that experience where you're thinking about shrimp?" And then somebody walks by and they say shrimp or a plate of shrimp or they, they talk about shrimp, like, you know, just, yes. just and you're thinking about it. And, and, and he says, 
it's something it's weird isn't it and that's all, that's all he's the things like that throughout the movie he also says at one point john wayne was a fag but anyhow <laughs> the point is but i think that's a really good place for us to if we're coming to the end of this section to break mm-hmm. because the thing about it is yes you know ideally and what i was saying before we all want the john travolta Olivia Newton-John, which is like, in fact, it's almost like the end of Taming of the Shrew, which um, is a very, for me, interesting story, obviously with many problematic elements. But what it what, what it seems to me to be about, and it's the same there, is let's just step back and, and accept that we're not going to do things because they're right, but we're going to play a game. We're going to, this is what society wants. I, I will play, I'll dress up for you in the way that you want for your fantasy. And you'll dress up as me in the way that I want for my fantasy. And that is the ideal thing. But there's a big spanner in that works, which is that men are very scared of women. Sorry, I should have turned off my 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 email notifications. Um, that, that, that. That's, all, that's all well and good. But actually, to actually do that, oh, okay, there's a lot of other issues that we haven't talked about yet in this conversation and that are very interesting and we can say for your parrot room, which are mm-hmm. reasons why that might not be as simple and it might be easier to say, fuck our relationship, let me just go off with one of my own kind and soar above the city and not have to be stay a child, uh, you know, stay in a kind of toddler adolescent friendship with with my bro so that I don't have to get in the car with you because I might not trust you in a million years and you might not be at all and you might be getting dressed up for me because you want to play me not because you're doing it um, in this very altruistic other space but because you want my money because you want a place in society where you're sitting next to me and you in your Olivia Newton-John outfit you look good and, and, and I could go for that in a big way but now I'm really scared. Hmm. And the yeah. film, I tell you, the film yeah, I mean, that you know, tells me. I'll just say, like, you, what you're all the stuff you're saying, my psychoanalyst's uh, girlfriend uh, pointed similar things out to me. It's like, Doug, how can you say these are the same? And which ones do you prefer? You need to, cho- you need to choose. <laughs> so, anyway, um, we'll, <laughs> we'll end it the, there. The film that explains everything to me is Vertigo, um, which, which hmm. tells me so much about what I know about. Um, well, just plays out in the most amazing talking of art, you know, in a way that transcends any theory that I could read about this or really any on the nose discussion that we might have about it because it just splinters into so many different directions. It, it, it has told me and informed me so much about this sort of thing, about male fear, what men and women want. And it's a massive topic, so I don't know. Maybe we save that for your power room. We'll talk about it another time. But yeah. um, do you want to talk about I Vertigo? Hear, I, I, yeah, I want to talk about, we can talk about Vertigo in the in the this parrot room patreon room we can talk about why men are afraid of women um and and i will that my my concerns about uh Baudillard and and marx and uh if they come up i'll try to minimize the the those inter- interjections uh because well, that, that, that's I, very polite of you i don't i don't mind not not on my account doug always always no i know to. not on your account but on so that we can uh, give people a kind of a, a taste of what your show will be like. In the kind yeah, of, I feel you asked me. Like. The first question you asked me is, what, what is the show and what am I doing? I don't think we've talked about it at all, but um, maybe we'll talk about it in power or maybe we'll just carry on talking about all this stuff, which is so yep. interesting. Okay. If you enjoyed this conversation, please do consider supporting us on Patreon. Our patrons help to make sure that Sublation Media can continue to provide interviews, videos, books, and articles that are critical of the left from the left. If you are tired of remaining stuck within bourgeois ideologies and politics, help us sublate them both.